Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, missionary to Zimbabwe, Africa, sent out of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. On today's program, we resume our interview with missionary B.J. Cormier. A good bit of the conversation in part one of this interview centered on language learning. Language acquisition is always an important and challenging element of effective cross-cultural mission work. But for Brother Cormier, in addition to acquiring the Swahili language to communicate verbally to Kenyans, he also had to learn a new variety of sign language to communicate with the deaf that he was seeking to minister to. In this program, we pick up right where we left off as Brother Cormier recounts his education in Kenyan sign language, as well as how their church's deaf ministry got a jump start in a very unexpected way. This is the second part of a two-part interview on deaf missions in Kenya. Now for the conclusion of my interview with missionary B.J. Cormier. Well, about, hmm, let's see, it had been October, latter part of October after we arrived. Um, where the church plant was being started, we were also starting on the property of a deaf school. Now, I wasn't directly working with the church plant, but I had just arrived uh, in the country and was working with the church that was starting that church plant. So since they were starting on the property of a deaf school, uh, it worked out to where I was invited to teach Bible classes to the kids. Well, I say kids. They were older youth. They were all high schoolers. And, you know, being a good student, I, I grabbed my official government-issued KSL dictionary and began studying in preparations for classes the following week. Went out to the school, and I didn't understand the, the details at the time, but basically the school was a sham. It was a business operation to make the owner rich, not to benefit the deaf. And so I had been told to prepare for a one-hour class or maybe a two-hour class, but it would be common for me to have the kids for four hours, you know, <laughs> after their lunch. And basically all the students were put into a class and I was the teacher. So here I am standing in front of a class of about 30 and I'm dealing with deaf of a variety of linguistic abilities. We had some deaf who had been educated from a very early age and had been through all of the grades and on up into high school. And so they were very communicative, very conversant, and very skilled in language. We had others who were, should we say, middle of the road in their understanding and communication abilities. We even had one young man, he was 14 years old, Brother Lee, and that was his first year in school. He had never been in school. His parents had basically hidden him and kept him back from education. And so he was in class, but he literally had about 15 signs that he knew and under, understood. Um, but the deaf were very gracious and they were trying to help him and teach him. But he knew basics such as, you know, food, um, restroom, sleep, class. His vocabulary was quite limited. So I go to this class. And again, I, I'm prepared. I have studied the official dictionary. 
And I began trying to tell a Bible story. Well, the deaf are blunt. So it didn't take them very long to, you know, stop me and say, um, <laughs> Pastor BJ, what do these signs mean? Well, that's a very confidence building, you know, <laughs> statement there. Right. And uh, I'm like, what do you mean? What does this sign mean? And this sign mean? They said, we don't know those signs. And I showed them the dictionary. I said, but these are in this book. This is the dictionary. They said, no, we don't know those signs. And so it worked out. This was how I learned sign language here. Uh, every class, I would call some of the students up, primarily the, the seniors in high school. And we would take some time and they would go through several pages of the official dictionary. So they would fingerspell the word. Then they would show the sign that was pictured in the dictionary. And then they would take a survey of the class, how the class signed that word. And that was eye-opening because sometimes we would have five, six, seven different signs for one word. Wow. And so what I began to understand is KSL wasn't nearly as polished as American Sign Language. And rightly so. It's, it's a young language. But depending on which geographic region they came from, specifically which school they came from, and even more importantly, who was their KSL teacher, then we began to notice patterns in the signs. So, so you, we were, spend, you were more or less teaching, you ended up teaching the more standardized KSL when you were there, not just, not just learning it, but teaching it immediately. Not so much. In fact, I, I must confess, confession is good for the soul. Um, basically, I yielded myself to them. So what signs do we know? What signs can we use? And through time, you learn, okay, what is the actual language and usage? And what was in the dictionary, but never accepted by the deaf community? Later on, I came to learn that it was a government project to put together an official KSL language, but it was woefully inadequate in input from the deaf community. Wow. So it was almost as if they were trying to force a language upon them as opposed to recording and then organizing the language that they had. You have to understand in Kenya, we have influence from deaf or from, excuse, me, excuse me, from Dutch sign language, from British sign language, from American sign language, from two Asian sign languages. We also have influence from other African sign languages. All of that is mixed in our, our sign language here. Wow. And so with those differences and those admixtures taking place, some signs are chosen, kept, and used, and others are not. So basically, they taught me the signs I needed to then turn around and teach them their Bible lesson for the day. So half the okay. day, half the time, they taught me the signs I would need, and I would turn around and teach them what the Bible said using those signs. So at the at the same time that, that you're learning language, and, and you've got this, it sounds like this is happening simultaneously. You're getting these, these extensive Swahili lessons throughout the week simultaneously you're you're learning their version of sign language 
and uh, and and utilizing that to to teach scripture. And of course, language and culture are just inextricably connected. So you're getting a culture education at the same time. I'm I'm wondering if the um, does the deaf community in Kenya there, and it sounds like that's that itself is pretty diverse. Does it have its own subculture there in Kenya? Um, are are you learning not only Swahili Kenyan Swahili culture, but Kenyan deaf culture? And is that did you find that to be nuanced? And uh, did you was there was there a learning curve in order to interact with and communicate effectively to the deaf in Kenya on a on a culturally suitable level? Uh, good question. Let me make one uh, statement, and that is that in Kenya we have over 42 tribal groups. Now, some are minor sub-tribes of major tribes, but over, overall we have 42 groups. Those each have their own cultural qualities. Right. But when we were learning Swahili, we were also learning to deal with the the common cultural elements among the hearing. So we were learning that. And then, of course, yes, there are nuances depending upon the tribes. When we came to the deaf, actually the deaf was a blessing. Brother Lee, it was a, it was a blessing. Because, yes, there are some differences in the deaf of Kenya and the deaf of America. But the differences are very few compared to the commonalities. Okay. And so for me, it was almost as if I was working with familiar people when I was among the deaf. The hearing Kenyans, that was a cultural, that was a cultural <laughs> exercise uh, right. day in and day out. A lot of mistakes were made, a lot of lessons learned. With the deaf, there were still lessons to be learned, of course, but the commonalities with the American deaf allowed us to be more comfortable and more free, even from the outset. Sure. So it, my, my experience in Africa has been seeing that um, it, it seems that when, when, when many of the African people, when they see that somebody has actually taken an interest in learning their language, there is a, there's a sort of a, a general kind of appreciation because um, as you've already mentioned, there are so many places where you can kind of get along in English, which is not their native tongue. Um, did you, have you found that to be the same with the, uh, with the, with the deaf? So you mentioned that with your less uh, educated deaf students at the deaf school, um, the ones that didn't have the kind of sign language exposure from their youth, uh, that the other that the other kids, the other deaf children, the other deaf young people were very gracious and, and were were trying to assist them. And it sounds like they were very helpful for for you. Do you find um, do how is your reception gospel wise among the deaf that you encounter in Kenya? And is your approach? in trying to get a gospel conversation, for instance, started among uh, the deaf, is it, a, is it generally the same approach that you would have, say, in English or in Swahili? 
Let me put it this way. There are certain foundational elements that need to be in place. One is the ability to communicate and communicate clearly. So for us working with the deaf, sign language is very important. Um, One challenge that we do face with the deaf culture is that there is a, I don't want to use the word stigma, but there is a preference among the deaf to trust what another deaf person says as opposed to what a hearing person says. Wow. Yeah. There there is a, um, how do I put it? There is a trust there established among the deaf community. And it's one of the the things that I teach my interpreting students. They have to be very careful with what they do because the deaf are going to be slow to build a relationship with you. Many times, not always, but many times to develop a trust with you and then to embrace you as one of their community. When that happens, now you're no longer an, an outsider or hearing person but you're now one of the ones that can counsel and advise and speak to them and teach them. So we have had issues before where a deaf person will take the advice of another deaf person, even in gospel matters, simply because they're deaf. Hmm. Yeah. But once you have built a rapport with them and you do that through fellowship and communication with them, without using an interpreter, then it's not, they're able to speak with you directly and it builds that rapport. So we start dealing with them on that personal basis first. So I, I guess, brother, that that's, that's not unlike any language group or cultural group. Um, it really is largely based on relationships, and there is still a, a certain measure of, of confidence that um, in order to be effective, usually that, that confidence needs to be built before you can communicate in weightier matters, it sounds like. Yes, sir. That's correct. Yeah. So how has the um, how has the deaf ministry taken shape over the years? You got a, you, you got your start ministering to the deaf at that school. Um is that school still I'm curious? It sounded like a kind of a bit of a shady operation in its origin. Is it still functioning there in the country? No, sir. It closed at the end of 2010. So I was only there for a few months. So how did you pursue, um, how did you expand the, the, the deaf ministry and, um, what doors did the Lord open for you to, to seek, seek out, Uh, evangelizing deaf souls in Kenya? Well, let me put it to you this way. It's not a door that God opened. Sometimes for us to make use of it, sometimes God opens a door that he uses just to show how great he is. Uh, At that school, we had both Christian and Muslim students. And as strange as this might sound, I actually had Muslim students who were in my Bible class. Yeah. And they were among some of the most interested and active members of the class. So one of the young men was named Abdi. He was a Muslim young man from the northeastern region of Kenya. 
And when the school closed, it closed at the end of the term, what we call semester in the States, and it never reopened. So when we parted, we parted with expectation of seeing one another again. Of course, that didn't happen. But several weeks after school was to reopen, I received a text message from Abdi. And he said, so Pastor BJ, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm still here in Nairobi, still taking language lessons. And he said, are you still working with that church? And I said, yes. He said, okay, well, would it be okay if I brought some friends on Sunday? Well, sure. (laughs) And so one Sunday morning, Abdi shows up with about 30 deaf. Wow. Now, he's Muslim. He came. He brought them to the church. He did not stay. He said, I'm not allowed to stay for your service. He said, but I I wanted to bring um, my deaf friends who are Christians to you because you can teach them the Bible. So he actually started the the deaf ministry of our church. God used him (laughs) to start the deaf ministry. Oh, wow. What a story. Uh, Some things you just can't, you would never even imagine. But yeah, God used a deaf Muslim young man to start the deaf ministry. So that started us being quite busy there. We were in Nairobi until November of 2011. We had intended to stay in the Nairobi area for language studies. The church I was working with at the time, pastored by another missionary, uh, was a blessing to us and allowed us to be uh, active in the ministries there, including with the deaf. And because of that, when we were preparing to move to Nakuru, which is a town about two and a half hours from us, we had now an obligation here in Nairobi as well. So we relocated to Nakuru as a family, but I continued to come to Nairobi on Sundays for ministry and also during the week. Our goal was to train interpreters here and then also work to train interpreters in the crew and start the deaf ministry there. And God works also in the crew to start a deaf ministry that continues to this day. Uh, long story short, after a period of time, uh, the former missionary left the country. The church asked me to be the pastor. I agreed after about six months of praying about it and then continued to pastor the church while living in the Kuru. So I drive down three times a week for ministry here, and we were also active in the crew, the crew where we were training interpreters in the ministry there. And then in 2015, the Lord moved us back to Nairobi, and I continued training in the crew. Just now, I sleep in Nairobi, not in the crew. That's about all that changed. So you continue to you continue to to minister in both of those locations. Yes, sir. Up until COVID. COVID kind of prevented travel for a while. But uh, at one point, we were ministering to deaf in Nairobi, Nakuru, Naivasha, which is about an hour and 45 minutes away from here, between here and Nakuru, and then another area called Namira, which is seven hours away from us out west. Through the ministry in Nakuru, we met a deaf young man from that region who then put us in touch with his deaf group out there. And for a period of time, as I was traveling out west to build our church plant, I would 
finish up at the church plant, drive down three hours to meet with the deaf group in the evening, and then make my way back to Nairobi. And so we have ministry in different areas. Of course, we also try to bring them together for Deaf Bible College, which is part of the ministry in Akuru. So last week, we were able to have our first Deaf Bible College session in two years. And the Lord really blessed. We were able to have uh, Deaf from Kisi, Nakuru, Nairobi region, Naivasha area, um, another a new area, Oceano. So we actually had more new students than we did returning students, which was a blessing. Wow. Yeah. Amen. So is the is the um, at the at the church in Nairobi is the your ministry is predominantly among hearing people. Um, in, in, at the church, at the church that you pastor in Nairobi? No, sir. I'd say about evenly split. Okay. Um, okay. so we have a trilingual church. We have some folks who come from the Nairobi town area. They are much, much better in English than they are in Swahili. We have people who come from the other side of us that are strong in Swahili, not so much in English. And then, of course, we have our deaf. So in our, basically an overview of our ministries at the moment, we have two services in a Bible study on Sunday morning. Uh, Before COVID, we had a service and a Bible study. And in that service, I would preach in Swahili as I interpreted in sign language and throw in the extra English as needed for those who depended upon it. When COVID came, our capacity has been limited now to one third. So we can't have everyone in one service anymore, which is okay. But the Lord's blessed. We've actually added more people since then. But we now have an English slash KSL service followed by the Bible study, followed by the Swahili service, which also sometimes includes KSL if some of our deaf come for that service. Our Bible study is trilingual still. So it's hard to say it's more deaf or hearing on the Sunday activities because the deaf are included uh, there as well. Wednesday, we we have two classes on Wednesday night, and we have deaf and hearing in those classes. On Tuesday, I have a Bible study with the deaf in Ivasha. On Fridays, before COVID, we were having a deaf Bible study across from the local technical institute for the deaf. That has been postponed because of restrictions, but we hope to pursue that once again. They're about to close uh, this. uh, They close tomorrow. They close Friday. And once they open up again, we're going to see about reinstating that. They, the, the protocols that were in place would not allow us to meet. We can't meet at school. We were meeting at a shopping mall across the way, but they had banned um, gatherings of any sort as well. So those restrictions have been eased, and we're going to have that back in place as well. And then as far as evangelism, evangelism goes, it's both sides. So we meet and work with both groups there. So it's kind of hard to say one over the other, uh, it's kind of what day of the week and what time of day is how we work. <laughs> right. Amen. 
So it sounds like you're you're like so many others. The the schedule and the 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 liberties that you have have been profoundly affected by the uh, by the development of COVID. Um, what what's your what's your vision for future ministry um, moving forward? Um, it sounds like perhaps there's some hope that that restrictions are loosening, that some of the um, suspended uh, efforts are going to resume. Um, uh, is there, is there still, even with the COVID restrictions in place, are the people still accessible? Are you able to have gospel conversations and interact with people as you were before? Um, and, uh, what's the, what, what are the plans moving forward? For us, the restrictions really have come to an end as far as their effect, meaning people have decided they have to live. Sure. And so the fear that kind of kept people at bay in the beginning, that has given way to now renewed hope. You know, uh, here was this disease. Supposedly it was going to kill, you know, so much of the world, according to the news reports that people were hearing here. Uh, but they've seen now that God is still on the throne. We're still here and we have to go on. So we're not really limited in that regard, so to speak. Um, our Bible studies are well attended. We have good attendance in our services. We are welcomed when we visit people in their homes now, or we have evangelism. We're welcomed to talk with people and, to, you know, relate to communicate, develop relationships. In fact, we just started a new, uh, home Bible study. Oh, now it's been, I guess about four weeks ago now with a young man. He is a cashier at the local supermarket. I got to know him and develop a friendship with him through the matter of COVID. So hmm. when COVID came, we were locked down. And a lot of our people in our church are day laborers. Uh, we call them kiborua. So they don't have a guaranteed job. They work day by day wherever they can find opportunity. When the COVID restrictions came down, a lot of our people were, were without income and they were without means to support themselves. And so God laid it on our hearts and God actually used uh, Cornerstone Baptist Church there in Tennessee to facilitate us helping people in our community with food. Amen. Um, right before COVID came, October of 2019, we started what we call the Schomburg Project. It's a farm, a one acre organic farm. And that is part of our vision for the deaf ministry. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But when COVID came, the lockdown came, it came in March of 2020. That was when we were first harvesting our vegetables. So we were able to sell to the community, but also we were able to give some of the produce away along with other staples that we purchased at the supermarket to support some of the families in our area, in our ministries. Uh, that meant I was going and buying sometimes three to 400 kilos of food items every week. That's a lot of material to take to a checkout line. And let's be <laughs> honest, not every cashier wants that type of work. Well, this young man in particular, um, he had no qualms about, you know, seeing me in three basket loads of food items. So he'd always wave me over to his line. And of course, we'd always 
sharing conversation, politics and COVID and world events and history and all these things, and religion as well. But he enjoyed the fact that, yes, we could relate and fellowship in Swahili. So he and I developed a friendship, and it was not too long ago he even said, Pastor, I have to work every Sunday, so I get no spiritual nourishment. What, what can I do? I said, well, if you want, I can come teach you the Bible at your home on your day off on Fridays. And he said, that'd be great. So we have an in-home Bible study with him. He's bringing others from his workplace that live in the area and his Amen. neighbors. And so that's, you know, an opportunity that we didn't have early on in COVID, but now is again available to us. Um, and again, all our other ministries pretty much with the exception of the Friday Night Deaf Fellowship. That one, again, is to be restarted when school opens up for them. You asked our vision for the ministry, both hearing and deaf. Uh, one, for our church, we don't have a hearing church or a deaf church. We have a church, a body. Amen. Sure. And so one of our goals is to see the body equipped. Um, we are looking to restart our KSL training courses. They were brought to an end by COVID, of course. One of our challenges is trying to arrange time. So most of our students were older youth who were able to come before service on those Sundays. Right now, the Sunday morning is pretty busy. Unfortunately, with the new government school schedule, they are requiring students to go to school for up to six days a week from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., most of them. That doesn't leave much time for them to do their wash, to do other assignments, and get things ready for the next week. And so we've had a little bit of a struggle trying to, to arrange a time for KSL because it is a language. The learning process is a language learning uh, process. It requires quite a bit of commitment and time. So we're still working on how to get that. But our goal is to one day, Karen Baptist Church, equipped with interpreters, equipped with pastoral staff and leadership that are bilingual, trilingual, actually, they have to be trilingual, and able to minister to the body as a whole. Uh, we're, we're making progress. We're seeing God do amazing things in different areas of the ministry. But, uh, you know, everything takes time. So we're sure. looking forward to that. And as far as the deaf ministry goes outside of this area, well, there are a lot of facets. One, I mentioned the farm project. One of the challenges that we've had with the deaf, with teaching the deaf, is they're scattered abroad. And so prior to our furlough in 2019, I was traveling an average of 16 to 20 hours a week just wow. to teach the deaf. Now, that's just travel time. That's not even teaching time. That's simply travel time. So when you factor that in, that's a lot of time away from other ministry. Uh, culturally, there is not a great respect or value for the deaf. That's sad to say, and it's hard to say, but it's the truth. And so for the deaf to be able to learn the Bible, many times... Ministries resort to supporting the deaf. 
And while that is admirable, it does present some challenges. Sure, of course. And so one of those challenges is continued expectation of support. Right. Uh, I have had deaf and various ministry locations tell me, you know, give me a job. I can teach the Bible. Give me a job. Now, granted, this is someone that their Bible education is woefully inadequate. Um, But they need a job. So that's how they see it as a job opportunity. If you mention about coming to learn the Bible, for instance, we have um, the Deaf Bible College that meets three times a year in Nakuru. For them to come requires money for their transportation and Mm -hmm. requires, you know, we pay for their food. We pay for anything as far as their needs go while they're there. But oftentimes one of the arguments is, well, I need money to get there. I don't have a job. I don't have money. And so we try to work with them and say, well, you get enough money to come to college and we'll make sure you get home. Kind of a 50-50 type deal. But even that prevents some from coming. Uh, It's sad. And some might say, well, why not just make everything fully supported? (laughs) The problem comes, what happens when they're trained or what happens when the program ends? Now they have learned to depend upon you. It's a welfare dependency. Let's just put it in those terms. Right. And it's very debilitating. I would even say it is the true handicap of the deaf because their lack of hearing is not a handicap. Um, Properly taught, properly educated, and given an understanding of the value that God sees in them, they can do wonderful things. Sure. The lack of hearing is not a handicap. It's just the way God made them. But a, a dependency on welfare is a handicap. It is. So to prevent that and try to prepare these deaf to serve God on their own, we started the farm project with the goal of having a place where they can come, they can work, earn their wage, use their money to then support themselves. That way they're not dependent upon me. They're dependent upon their labor. So they understand you work to get the money you need for your needs. Sure. But also we can then work with them to teach them how to budget that money, how to make wise choices with that money. Um, sadly, that's not a, a common skill here in the country of Kenya and I would say in America as well. But we can teach them and train them how to budget and how to allocate funds and to be good stewards of what God has given them. But also since I am technically the boss and owner of the farm, I make their work schedule. So I can schedule them to be available for ministry. I can schedule them to be available for classes because I can't even remember how many times now I've started teaching someone only to have a job take them away. Sure. Either they move or now they're not available during hours that I can teach them. And so when I have control of those things, I now can ensure as much as possible that they're available to be trained and to be taught. 
And so that's the program that we're working on here in the Nairobi area, among the other ministries. And then we also still have uh, the Dev College that will be taking place in Nakuru. So we'll have a full-time college here in Nairobi, an auxiliary college in Nakuru, and then other opportunities in these various locations with the goal of training up men who know the Word of God, who have a love for God, who are able to minister the Word of God to other deaf, that we can then begin using them as preachers and teachers in these various locations. I'm one person. I can only be in one place at one time. Sure. But there are a number of deaf schools. We have over 40 uh, deaf schools just for the secondary here in the country for the high schoolers. So we have lots of opportunities, but we need more workers. Yeah. And so our goal is to start training up men and ladies who could then take up um, some of those opportunities and expand the ministry. Amen. Sounds like a sounds like an exciting, some exciting uh, prospects there for reaching the deaf uh, across Kenya, uh, for the deaf in Kenya reaching the deaf in Kenya. Uh, sounds like a sounds like a an exciting plan. Brother Cormier, I really appreciate you uh, sitting down and walking us through these things. The 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 language component, and um, the uh, the paces that the Lord put you through early on to prepare you for what you're doing. It's just really been fascinating learning uh, about the the linguistic element and uh, the 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 various layers of language that you've had to acquire and that uh, you continue to use. It's it's hard for me to imagine a uh, a trilingual kind of scenario. It sounds like your Bible study between between Sunday morning services. You're you're basically uh, back and forth. Well, continually in at least two languages as you sign, and then back and forth uh, in, into and out of uh, English. So, just a, a really interesting thing uh, that the Lord has you doing there. And I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, walk us through it. And I hope that our that our listeners will uh, will will pray for you and for your family and for what you're doing there in Kenya. And perhaps there's somebody out there that would take an interest in uh, in the the deaf, not only in Kenya but uh, on other fields. There are there are non-hearing people all over the world. And as I mentioned at the outset of this conversation, uh, unfortunately they are uh, they're a neglected segment of the society in a lot of places. So I'm, I'm certainly thankful for what the Lord has you doing there in Kenya. Thanks for tuning in for today's conversation with missionary B.J. Cormier. I trust the conversation was informative on several levels. My thanks to Brother Cormier for making the time to conduct the call from Kenya. If you've enjoyed the program, you can find many more similar interviews at greatcommissionconversations.com or any number of podcasting platforms. I always welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the world.